Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the Forex Angels, and you're listening to the VA Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell. The Indy 500 winner is in at HRT. I'm very, very excited to announce that I will be racing in the uh, Gold Coast 600 race in Australia at Surface Paradise. V8 supercars are gearing up for a hectic end of the season. We're about to embark on an enormous six months as, as we have in the last couple of years. And, you know, we've got uh, massive events coming up. And the car of the future, 2,000 kilometres down, how many to go? We're, we're hoping to do over 3,000 before we uh, get to Bathurst this year. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Dan Weldon has been confirmed as he's joining HRT for the Gold Coast 600. And I think as everybody knows, clearly the biggest and the best team out there in Australia. So uh, for me there will be a lot of pressure to, uh, to perform. We're very, very hopeful that we're going to be able to win, and judging by their performances recently, I think there's a good chance of that. Cole Hitchcock has told the V8 Insiders that even though it may publicly cost V8 supercars to drop the permanent circuit races, they could financially afford it. But, you know, I think we have made a lot of sacrifices um, in, in, in remaining at the smaller events. Um, it probably would be not an easy decision, but... Uh, you know, if we were to suddenly not go to some of those smaller regional places, we would cop hell and high water for it, and deservedly so. But from an economic standpoint, if you were looking at from a pure business sense, you could do that without causing any damage to the to the to the business at all. But Hitchcock is quick to point out that the series does not want to drop any permanent circuits from their calendar. You know, they are really traditionalist. Um, you know, almost pure motorsport events. They're not. There's no concerts at Queensland Raceway. Our corporate numbers are far less than we would generate at a, at a street race, uh, and it's more of your core fan, which is a good thing. Um, I think having a point of difference between street racing and a Gold Coast event compared to to uh, a regional event is a great thing, and it's a great asset. And it's no different from an AFL or a rugby league going and playing matches um, in regional centres as they do a lot. And he talked about how the Queensland race stayed on the calendar. You know, last year we uh, we almost didn't return to Queensland Raceway and it was only at the, the beggings of um, of the Ipswich City Council uh, and the Queensland Government that we are back there for the next three years. And, and we're back there um, wanting to be, just economically, and we're seeing that in Tasmania at the moment, economically they are more of a challenge because you've got a lot less to work with. Paul Dumbrella's announced he'll be stepping away from full-time racing at the end of this year. The CEO of Automotive Brands has decided that he needs to focus on his business and other interests which will require him to run a less demanding racing schedule. 
FPR have already said they want Dumbrell as an endurance driver moving forward and will be working on a replacement very soon for the Bottolo car. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. After the break, V8 Supercars General Manager of Motorsport, Adam Perry, will update us on the Car of the Future's progress. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Joining us on the line is Adam Perry from V8 Supercars and, of course, as general manager of the, all the technical aspects of the sport, it's quite a wide and diverse range of uh, issues that you have to face day to day. Well, Craig, yeah, as you can imagine, um, we've got uh, 28 cars of um, um, fairly high standard and um, an extremely, extremely thick rule book and, and you know, technical regulations and sporting regulations, and that all comes under my control. So um, from uh, racing to office and everything, it's, it's uh, a very busy job. Mm. One thing that makes it busier than just the 28 cars on the track in the Fujitsu series is this thing called Car of the Future. We've seen the uh, spy photos, if you like, of the car being tested. How is your feeling on the information that you're getting back on the project as to how this moves the category forward? Uh, to date, uh, we've been extremely pleased with the, the testing and uh, the build process. I mean, it's been a, um, a huge project for, for me personally, and um, I've been absolutely um, lucky to be involved in it. But, um, you know, the, the car's been tested a number of times now. We're just short of about 2,500 kilometres in, in on-track testing so far. And pretty much all systems uh, are go with uh, very little issues or mechanical issues at all to report. Of course, mechanically, these cars have got a lot of similarities about them, but you are going for a lot of... Uh, you are also taking the opportunity with this car to radically redesign some aspects of it, and I guess that's what you really need to get those kilometres into. Yeah, the, the major changes in the car are really based around the driveline and the rear suspension. Um, we've included an independent rear suspension in the, the new car um, and also uh, a transaxle which has a differential and gearbox combined and that sits in the rear of the car. So then you end up, uh, that changes the, the tail shaft design where you end up having a tail shaft that runs direct from the engine to the transaxle which spins at a much higher um, speed, basically engine speed. So, you know, you've got those engineering issues you've got to work past to, to solve those. Um, also, it's, it's got a lot more safety features in the car with um, the fuel tank um, is forward of the rear axle now, so those um, accidents that we saw, at, or the accident we saw at uh, Perth this year with that big fireball, we should uh, not have those anymore. And we've got a lot better um, uh, driver's side intrusion um, to protect the driver as well and uh, collapsible steering columns. So 
it really is an advanced forward in both uh, safety and um, technical um, in relation to the driveline. Mm. Of course, you're testing at the moment with the current tyres. How soon till Fitzy will get you some 18 inches that you can uh, give them the full package test? Well, I got an email from Fitzy the other day, mate, and um, he tells me we've got uh, test tyres on the water as we speak, so um, we'd expect to see those um, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, phase two of our testing program, which will include the, the tyres, will more than likely uh, commence after Bathurst, and we'll, we'll start to go and develop a new tyre or tyres for the current, for the, the obviously the car of the future. Hmm. When you look to Formula One, who had changed their tyre contract uh, this year, we see already at this stage of the season, their summer break, that they've dumped the hard tyres and they're just going for high degradation tyres to to really ensure that there is passing and there's cars going at different speeds. Is that something that you have to pursue or is the cost of buying tyres going to become a big factor in the decision as you move forward? Oh, look, the cost is always a factor, but at the moment I think if you have a look at our format of racing, we've got a good mix of hard tyre rounds, soft tyre rounds and mixed tyre rounds. So, um, look, moving forward, I think uh, the category won't necessarily move away from that. Um, certainly we will look at trying to develop just a single tyre. That that does help uh, in so far as costs go. But, um, you know, um, you're talking, I suppose, 40 tyres to do a round at um, a place like Abu Dhabi in the soft tyres where on a hard tyre probably would be half that amount. So there's definitely a cost factor there. But we'll look at all those um, as, we, as we move in a bit to... The, the key or the primary thing that we look at is, is we've got to be able to provide um, uh, good racing, good quality racing, and that's what we look at closely when we... we well, Arden Perry, it's a pleasure to catch up with you here on the show, and, uh, well, we wish you all the best for, what was that, 2,000 kilometres that you've got to get through in the before the end well, of this year? we've already done 2,500. Two we're, we're, we're hoping to do over 3,000 before we uh, get to Bathurst this year, and, uh, and then we'll look at handing the, the uh, technical... Uh, uh, specifications over to the teams and they can start building the car of the future. Mm. Do you have to do two car tests on the track to check aerodynamics with one car next to the other? We will have to do aerodynamic testing, yes, and you you always have to um, benchmark against the previous model. So what we do is we've already got the benchmark on our current um, cars, uh, the FG and VE, so we'll, we'll um, run both. Well, you have to run every mark and, and um, you benchmark that against the more normally against the slower vehicle so um, but yes aero testing definitely has to be done we'll be looking at doing that um, in the first one or two months uh, for january february next year Mm. well it is interesting times ahead adam thanks very much for your time today my pleasure thanks controversy corner is next when we return with more on the v8 insiders Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Craig Lance from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Motorsport E-News, it's Andrew Van Leeuwen. Good evening, Andrew. How you going, 
going, Craig? I'm very well, as I'm sure this man is as well. Also from Mean News, it's Lachlan Mansell. How are you going, Lockie? Good day, Craig. Good day, AVL. Look, interesting times ahead. I remember when the Indy 500 winner used to come over here and race at Liverpool Speedway and race at Fraser Park and up at Newcastle and down at the showground in Melbourne. Nowadays, they come over and race at the Gold Coast 600. My, how times have changed, Andrew. Yes, they, they, they certainly have. And, you know, we haven't just got one Indy 500 winner coming down uh, coming down for the Gold Coast this year. There's obviously a few of them with the likes of, uh, of Scott Dixon and Helio Castroneves in the field as well. But I guess it's always a bit of a coup when you have the current Indy 500 champion in the field. And, you know, it's a funny year for the Indy 500 winner anyway because... We're talking about a bloke, Dan Weldon, who's not even in a full-time drive uh, anywhere in the IndyCar series. He's been doing some testing over the last couple of days for the um, for their version of Car of the Future. So he's spending a bit of time in a seat. But, you know, it's quite weird when you think this is the guy who's won one of the biggest sporting events in the world, not just motorsporting events, but one of the biggest sporting events in the world just a few months ago, and he's not actually in a full-time drive. So I guess it's a, it's a bit of a strange year uh, anyway. Yeah, it is, Lockie, because uh, one of the reasons why he's not in a full-time drive is because he had some contractual dispute with his last team owner. And I think in America, when you start taking team owners to court, other team owners aren't as keen to employ you again. Well, the interesting thing with the Dan Weldon situation is that he didn't have a drive at the Gold Coast 600 up until about a week ago either because... Originally, it was Dario Franchitti who was going to be driving with James Courtney at HRT, and apparently there was some kind of commercial conflict which prevented Franchitti from being able to drive at the Gold Coast 600, and hence the reason that uh, HRT signed up Dan Weldon to drive with James Courtney instead. For V8 supercars, Andrew, Dan Weldon is a great signing because, yes, he's got a great racing pedigree, two-time Indy 500 winner as well as being the current Indy 500 winner, but he is a media magnet. He understands the role of the media. He's worked for the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway coverage this year whilst he's been out of the car and that is a critical thing to have is a a person who's got that personality and who can promote this event not only in Australia but over in America as well. Well that's exactly right I mean you sort of as you said you get the best of both both worlds because at some point he's going to be back on the telly over in the US because that's what he seems to be spending a fair bit of his time doing and he's and he's pretty bloody good at it as well I've got to say and he's got the bright white teeth and he's got the whole look that goes with being a race car driver and a media personality so there, there are definitely some merits in having someone like him involved uh, in this event because he is going to get his fair share of the limelight to go back and promote this event one thing that i think will be really interesting is if you actually look back through dan's career stats even when he was winning irl championships winning races never been a very strong road racer which is quite funny because you know he, he does come from the uk and they um that's where he cut his teeth was was on road courses really struggled with that in indycar so uh, i noticed in the like in the press release james Courtney saying it's great to have a guy with a road racing background but dan's strength as an indycar driver has always been on ovals which is which is quite interesting and it's going to give him another challenge uh when it comes to trying to adapt to not only these cars but to a road course, it's a very difficult road course, the one at Surface Paradise. We know it's quite unique and quite tough to get your head around anyway. So that, to me, it's going to be really interesting to see to see how he goes. 
I think he's only got one street race or road course win in his career in Indy cars, and that was down at a, another tricky street circuit down there in Florida, Lockie. Yeah, well, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how Dan Weldon adapts to V8 supercar racing because unlike a lot of the other drivers in the field for the Gold Coast 600, he didn't actually race in last year's event. But I think if there's anything on his side, it's the fact that James Courtney's not a championship contender this year. So where some of the other international co-drivers might have to play it a little bit more conservatively in thinking about the regular drivers' championship, Dan Weldon can go out for broke because uh, James Courtney at this stage of the season, he'll just be going out trying to win every race that he can because he's had such a shocker of a start to the season. Mm. It is an interesting position for Courtney. And the team Courtney left, Well, Dick Johnson Racing, it's in the news again. Major changes in their organisational structure. And it's just amazing. Dick, he's been a battler, but he really has never recovered from uh, the the sponsorship dramas that plagued him about five years ago, Andrew. Yeah, look, uh, in saying that, the team have been in far dire straits than they're in right now, to be perfectly honest. So I don't think we can be too overdramatic about what's happening. Let's wait until... Uh, we see what's going to happen with Jim Beam in the future. Let's wait and see where that whole thing moves in the next couple of months before we get too concerned about whether the team's going to stay on the grid or whether they're going to fold. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a couple of uh, structural issues with the team, obviously, uh, with the fact that Charlie Schwerkov still owns one of those licenses. That always, that always puts you in just a, a, a small... It just offers a tiny element of risk because if Charlie decided to pull that license then suddenly you're you're down to being a one-car team looking to buy another license. But, like I say, the team's been in worse shape than they are right now, both in terms of results and in terms of of their structure and their sponsorship and that sort of stuff. So I don't... I certainly, on past form, you'd be pretty brave to say uh, Dick's not going to ride this one through as well. Mm. It's interesting because we know that the team has been in financial trouble for a long time, probably out of it a little while, but still not one of the most cashed-up teams whilst Charlie was a part owner. But now we know they're in trouble again. But even... Through the dramas last year, they win a championship. And now, uh, interesting, I saw Grant Rowley had done a stat for us that uh, in my Tour de France last year, I, I this time I did a, a sort of Tour de France on the year so far, and it was a car prepared by Dick Johnson Racing, driven by Jonathan Webb, who was leading that Tour de France leaderboard by completing every single lap. And as it turned out, it took him, what, a year and three races before he didn't complete the entire length of a race. But now it's Stephen Johnson has completed every single lap of the racing so far, Lockie. Yeah, he's really stepped up this year, hasn't he? He's been qualifying really well too. I've read a stat somewhere else that I think in terms of average qualifying position so far for season 2011, he was, I think, the third best behind uh, Wind Cup and Winterbottom, I think it was. So... Um, you know, they've certainly found some speed at Dick Johnson Racing. As far as the commercial structure of the team goes, my understanding is that there's not too much trouble. The existing people who were uh, in the commercial management-type roles within the team, if you like, decided to move on, and whether that's... Um, sort of the the last people to move on after the whole debacle last year. I'm not sure, but I understand that some of the people from Crimsafe 
and now going to be involved in managing the commercial side of the team. So I don't necessarily think that that's a huge disadvantage or a weakness for the team or that they've got any kind of problems off the track. I think it's just some personnel changes. Well, Wayne Caddick has been back there helping out Dick too. So you know Wayne is a, a very steady ship sailor when it comes to uh, giving advice and, and just his knowledge of the game is unsurpassed, Andrew. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that he can uh, he can offer a heck of a lot to the team. And uh, and like these are these are tricky situations to comment on because we don't want to say that they are uh, in trouble because they might not be. I haven't looked over their books. I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, and I don't want to say that you know that, that this whole thing is going to go one way or the other. But as I said before, I I, I would think they've been in. Uh, in worse positions than they are right now. I think they're going to last through the year and I think they're going to last into next year. And, you know, if you had to go on past form, you'd think they're going to keep on surviving because they are Survivor Stapleton. They just keep hanging in there. Mm, they are indeed. It's Gas and Go time now on the V8 Insiders. Gas and Go is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Gas and Go, brought to you by VNX Magazine. And, of course, the rules, five questions, three minutes, starting from now. Lockie, Grant Johnson, he's tested a V8 supercar. Is V8 Ute's going to be a career path for the budding V8 supercar driver? Um, I don't think so, because I'm yet to see anyone come out of the V8 Ute series and make a good career in the V8 supercars in the main game. I think, quite frankly, although the V8 Ute's are great fun to watch, um, those who've driven V8 utes and V8 supercars will tell you that the V8 utes are not particularly friendly from a driving perspective. And the other thing as well is that uh, the traditional stepping stone, if you like, to V8 supercars, which is Formula Ford, offers far more in terms of adjustability, drivers being able to make adjustments to maximise the mechanical grip that they can get from the car. V8 utes don't have those types of adjustments and that, for young drivers who are coming up from go-karts, means that they're not developing that side of their racing package, being able to give the engineers feedback and work on improving the car setup to generate more speed. Mm, Certainly Cam McConville and Nathan Pretty have found the utes aren't that easy, Andrew. Uh, yeah, definitely. I've driven one of them. I can tell you they are. They're, they're, they're a handful to drive, and probably because of that, it could be a, a, a career path. Uh, it could be part of the stepping stone. Any competitive motor racing series out there that is semi-affordable can form part, and does form part of the career path from go-kart to V8 Supercar. Mm, all right. Matt uh, Schubering, he jumps the Stone Brothers Racing Transporter. I've got to ask, these promotions... How do they help V8 supercars? Andrew? Uh, this one doesn't. I don't think it doesn't hurt. It's made for a couple of cool photos, but in terms of overall promotion of our sport, doesn't do too much. Mm, Lockie? Um, yeah, I agree with Andrew on that one. I think that, uh, you know, maybe for the team it was some, some good local publicity, but in terms of actually helping sport V8 supercars, probably doesn't rank that highly in the PR events that we've seen in the past. Mm. Now... Paul Morris, he loves testing drivers. He's probably tested more drivers than half the field combined in the last 12 months. I think the number I've counted up just roughly is about 12. Paul Morris, what's he looking for, Lockie? Um, A replacement for Russell Ingall, maybe. Um, He probably doesn't mind the checks that a lot of people hand him when they get half a day in one of his cars either. 
Will Davison has got a new car. Will a new car fix the problems FPR, particularly with strategy, Andrew? Oh, not directly. It's not going to make a difference in strategy, but new cars can have almost a magical effect on teams and drivers. It sounds really strange, but drivers love new cars. Teams love working on new cars, so it, oh, it can help. Mm. Well, the biggest weakness for Ford Performance Racing this season has been their form on the soft compound tyres. They haven't been slow on the tyres, but the cars have chewed through the tyres way too quickly. So I think, you know, hopefully with the new car for Will Davidson's sake, um, it'll be kinder to those soft compound tyres than the previous car. Mm. Lucky Alex Davidson and James Moffat are going to join Dick and Stephen Johnson at the Leyburn Sprints. How far are these drivers going these days just to get themselves some track time after particularly this six-week break? Oh, yeah, well, it's a way of um, keeping themselves in the groove, isn't it? I'm not sure that it's really, a, you know, <laughs> the kind of um, ultra-competitive environment that we get in V8 supercar racing, but obviously it's probably an exercise than anything for those drivers. Andrew? Uh, they're drivers and they want to drive things. That's what, they, that's what they do. It's not meaningful sea time, but it's a bit of fun, and they're going to go and do it. So good on them. Good on them for getting involved. And that's Gas & Go for another week here on the V8 Insiders. Gas & Go is brought to you by the V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Plenty more coming up on the V8 Insiders right after this break. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week is Lachlan Mansell and Andrew Van Leeuwen from E! News. And uh, guys, Paul Dumbrell, he hangs up his hat. What's his legacy, Lockie? Good question, because he's been in the V8 supercars as a full-time driver since 2002, and in that time he's achieved, what, one race win, one pole position, and not really anything else to speak of apart from that. I think he had a third on the grid at Bathurst one year. So, I mean, he hasn't been near the back of the field, but at the same time he hasn't really shown any outstanding performances either. So... um, I think probably the the bigger question, rather than what's his legacy, is who's going to end up in that third Ford Performance racing car for next year. Mm, Andrew, what's your thoughts? Uh, Look, yeah, I I don't think we can talk about his legacy because he's still going to be around. He'll be an endurance driver, most likely with Ford Performance racing. And he's he's a brewing driver at Bathurst. So the best of uh, Paul Dumbrell's career could still be to come. Mm. uh, I think there's a very real possibility of that. Um, I think he's he's certainly like, you know, the, the statistics that Lachlan was reading out, they don't read great. There's no doubt about that. He has won one race. He's at one pole position. He's only, you know, he's at one podium. But he's by far the worst bloke out there. He's certainly, you know, he's one of the he's one of the uh, of the 28 best drivers um, in the country when it comes to touring cars and V8 supercars. He, he, if he wanted to carry on, he could very much do so. But I must say, I greatly admire the mature decision that he's made 
to prioritise his business. There was obviously a uh, there was obviously some feeling amongst the people involved in automotive brands that uh, he he wasn't a full-time CEO, and he wasn't because you're basically talking about being a CEO of a massive company and being a V8 supercar driver, both full-time jobs. Trying to do both of those things, very hard. So I, I really uh, applaud Paul for, for, for making a tough decision when he could very easily have carried on doing both and living the life, but he said, no, no, I want to do one thing properly, and to me that's a, uh, that's a really great thing that he's done. Mm, well, Lockie asked the question there, who's going to take his seat, Andrew? Um, oh, look, if you take a bet right now, you'd probably say Lee Holdsworth is, a, is the obvious, he's the obvious, obvious candidate. But I reckon a lot's going to play out there. I'm not, I'm not fully convinced that Lee isn't eyeing a move back to Queensland in some form or other uh, at some point in the not too distant future because that's where his family's from. Um, but you know, if you had to, if you had to pick, pick an obvious short odds favourite right now, it'd, it'd probably be Lee. Mm. What about you, Lockie? I don't think it will be Lee Holdsworth, despite what uh, some of the various motorsport publications have reported. Just because for Lee, I think he would be better off staying as the lead driver at Gary Rogers Motorsport than coming into Ford Performance Racing and being effectively the third driver. There's already two drivers at FPR, Will Davison and Mark Winterbottom, who are well established in the team, Winterbottom in particular. And for Lee Holdsworth, it would be a very big ask for him to uh, come into the team and have to try and usurp both of those drivers. So the other thing as well is that in terms of their pace, particularly on the soft tyres, um, I'll refer to it once again, you'd have to say Gary Rogers Motorsports probably been a bit stronger than Ford Performance Racing anyway. And I know the kind of character that Lee Holdsworth is. He's a driver whose main desire is to win races, not to necessarily go to the team where he's going to pick up the biggest paycheck. So I think the uh, kind of driver that might be more likely to take that FPR seat might be someone like David Russell, for example, one of the drivers who's going well in the Fujitsu series. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, Russell and his teammate Tim Blanchard are are signed up with Kellys. For the endurance races they are, but that's only for this year. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're locked down with that team for the future. Mm. And they drive... I just want to to come back on something there. I I, I, I don't know, Lockie. I, I couldn't see... I mean... Lee Holdsworth's got what he's ever going to get out of Gary Rogers Motorsport. There might be the odd win every now and then, but he's never going to win a title with Gary Rogers Motorsport. Not in certainly in the in the short to medium term. He's got a lot better chance going. I mean, he wouldn't if he did a deal with uh, FBR to take over that bottle. I said he wouldn't go in as a third driver. I don't think that's how it would be structured because he'd make sure of that when he was doing his deals. And I I think he knows what he's going to get at. at, at um, GRM and it's you know like you say a good car on a stay better than an FBR car but I think if you were trying to look at it with a more medium to long term view you'd go well I've got to change something and maybe maybe this is it FBR can build very fast racing cars they are having problems on the sh- on the soft tyres they do have some problems with strategy but I think you'd be more likely to win a championship there than you would at GRM and that's what these guys want to do, Lee Holdsworth included. Yeah, I think Lee's in that very awkward position that he knows he needs to make a change. He knows that there's some opportunities there. And, of course, uh, one of the big things before Dumbrell actually put his cue in the rack was they're going to drop Coulthard for Holdsworth in a third car at Walkinshaw. Now, 
either way you're talking, you're still talking a third car. And obviously, if Roland had have done the deal, you'd be thinking that that would have been cherry ripe for Lee Holsworth. So, but you're still you're still talking about the third car at Triple Eight. We're not talking about being a lead driver anywhere. We're talking about him being part of the stable, Andrew. But it's a third car. It's not necessarily a third driver. That suggests that there is a definitive hierarchy of, you know, car five is fastest, car six is the second fastest, and car 55 is the third fastest. And it doesn't necessarily work like that. Third car is different to third driver. Mm, yeah, perhaps we've all been watching a bit too much Grand Prix Legends on the seven, mate, over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> or too much Formula One in season twenty eleven. Yeah, perhaps, uh, guys. Uh, we've got to uh, wrap this one up, so I'll be quick. Where's Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport in two thousand and eleven, and what can they do to move forward? Yeah, well, in terms of where they are for twenty eleven, near or at the back of the field, and that's not for lack of effort. I know that all the people in that team are working very hard to try and move it forward. Warren Luff's obviously a very good driver, but the reality is they just don't have the resources to take it up to the bigger teams. And I think one of their weaknesses is that most of the teams these days have some kind of association with one of the top-level teams. So um, either as a customer-type operation or actually receiving technical support, whereas Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport doesn't have that kind of support. So... I think that's why they're struggling to move forward and I think what they need to do to move up the grid is probably form an alliance with one of those top-level operations. Hmm. They seem to have walked away from alliance, Andrew, at the end of last year with Walkinshaw and that has left them a little bit on the outer. But uh, Lucas was determined to make changes. He made changes at the end of last year and he's sort of making changes midstream too. Yeah, but you can only do so much when you're a small single-car team. You can change whatever you like, but at the end of the day, you know, if you want to make a change that's going to rocket you up the grid, you go and you become a two-car team and you employ a whole bunch of staff and you lure Adrian Burgess over to run the whole thing for you and you go and do a deal with Triple Eight or FBR to buy cars because, you know, none of the Walkinshaw cars are going gangbusters this year, so... And you go and do all that sort of stuff. It's really simple if, uh, if money's no object and you just go and do it but obviously in the real world it's not quite that simple there is no problem with the with the driver as Lockie pointed out Luffy's a, he's a bloody good driver and we we saw that with uh DJR when he stuck a car on the front row of the grid at um at Phillip Island you know um yeah, when he was driving for the endurance races whenever it was a year ago or two years ago or whatever I mean that's a that's a hard thing to do and he went and did that so he's a good driver but you know, being a single car team is is hard work, and for as long as they're in that position, it's uh, it's going to be difficult um, for them to to make any sort of significant gains in in the sh- in the short term. For mine, until he takes that bloody Collingwood Magpie off the car, it can stay there. Hey, uh, what's been your highlight and disappointment of the season, Andrew? Uh, my highlight has uh, probably probably a couple of things. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen's coming of age. I think he. Uh, He's an exciting driver. We've known that for a while, but he's one that's capable of winning now. He's still a bit off winning a championship, but I think he'll get there. And seeing him do really well uh, has uh, is something I've um, I really enjoyed watching. And the other one, and I'm being incredibly biased here, but it was great to see VO Supercars racing at Barbagallo Raceway over in my uh, home state. <laughs> again. Uh, even though uh, it was a it was a fiery return with Carl Ryan's massive smash, I, it was just it was great to see. You know, I think I think all these small racetracks uh, deserve to have these rounds, and um, 
and to me the low lies the fact that now you know we're sitting here at this point of the year talking about the fact that you know there's this there is a massive chance that they won't go racing in Tasmania again at Simmons Plains and and that's a great shame I understand all the reasons behind it um, from both both uh, sides of the of the debate and in terms of the government how much they're dipping in whether they get more out of AFL and from the fact that these these events don't happen for nothing and that um we yeah, supercars aren't gonna aren't gonna run the whole thing on uh, on rainbows and fairy floss they need cold hard cash to make it happen but it's just a shame that you know a, a unique circuit uh, could well be lost to us and that's what I, I don't like having those conversations writing those stories in the middle of the season mm, lucky. Uh, highlight for me has just been the unpredictability of the racing on the soft compound tyres, particularly the Sunday race at Winton, um, which I was fortunate enough to call alongside Chris Jewell, where we didn't know who was going to win the race until you know a few laps out from the end, just because you had all the different strategies coming into play and people with tyres in different levels of condition. Um, and, you know, that Winton race wasn't the only one like that. We had some great racing at Barbagallo on the soft compound tyres as well. As far as the low lights of the season, I think um, seeing uh, Jason Richards not being able to race in V8 supercars because of his well-publicised health issues, that's been a real low light for uh, not just myself, I'm sure, but most of the people, if not everyone, in the V8 supercar paddock because he is one of the nicest people in the V8 supercar. Yeah, we do. In, we do indeed, Lockie. And, uh, well, we thank you both to Lachlan Mansell and Andrew Van Loon for your time here on the V8 Insiders. And uh, great to catch up with you both. No problem. Thank you. Thanks very much, Craig. After the break, the white flag lab here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, we catch up with two young drivers who are really trying to make stepping stones towards the V8 supercars. First up, we hear from young New Zealand driver Andre Heimgartner. Yeah, I, I really think just Formula One is sort of a bit unrealistic with the sort of budget we've got. So um, V8 supercars is uh, something I love and have always watched and looked up to so um, I think we're going to head there. With super touring in New Zealand being or V8 super touring in New Zealand being such a new category that do you think will give you an advantage? Um, well yeah it's, it's, a, it's a series they say um, made of champions so um, I think I'm one of the well, one of the about three new drivers going to it so all, all the rest are experienced uh, campaigners like Greg Murphy and um, Craig Beard and so on so uh, it'll, there's some tough competition there for me to sort of measure up against so mm. it'll be good Another driver that's going a different path staying in Australia it's Victorian Elliot Barber How come a young fella like yourself wants to get into Touring Car Masters? Yeah I mean most of the guys are sort of 40 plus but I mean you've got the a few legends in there like you know JB, John Bow and, and Jimmy Richards and, and guys like that and uh I mean, my stepping stone, I obviously want to get to V8 Supercars, and um, 
these are about supercars just 30 years ago. So, I mean, they're just as hard to drive, you know, 600 horsepower on a skinnier tyre than what the V8s drive on now. So, just a good um, good learning curve and just a bit of fun. One thing's for sure, more and more drivers want to make it into the top 28 in V8 supercars. It's just how can you get there? My thanks to Elliot Barber and Andre Heimgartner. And that's all we have time for on another edition of the V8 Insiders. The checkered flag waves. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.